This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here today with Emily Ritchie of the Northwest Cider Association. Did I do all that right, Emily? Yes, indeed. Hello. Nice to be here. Welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. This is so exciting. To be honest with you, this is our first Zoom meeting or Zoom podcast that we've done. And I'm freaking excited. I get to talk cider today. And that's one of, uh, for Fermented Adventure, that's one of our favorite things to do. So the Northwest Cider Association, talk about that. Talk about your role. And you have 30 seconds to do all that in. <laughs> all right, go. Um, I So we were founded in 2010. I'm the executive director. Um, the whole point is to connect cider makers and cider drinkers, whether you're just curious about cider or you're a huge fan and a geek and just want to get your hands on the most exclusive bottles. Um, we The whole concept was formed um, so that we could work together as an industry. You know, a lot of cider makers are out there. There's about a hundred in our membership and um, the, you could be enemies and work across, uh, across the aisle or not work, or you could work together. And that's really my role is to get us all playing well in the sandbox. We actually work in a large region. So we're in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and we even cross into British Columbia in Canada. So, so you're international. We're international. I know it's really fun. You know, making cider is the same whether you're in Canada or in the U.S. We speak the same language, at least in B.C. and uh, across into the Pacific Northwest. Now, you, you have about 100 or over 100 members, as you said, correct? Correct. Do you, do you bring everybody together physically to meet and talk cider? Is it on a Zoom call? Do you do regional meetings? How does that work for the association? Yeah, we absolutely do. You know, in the last year, it's been harder to do that. So there's been a lot more virtual events, but we have, um, we're, we have three things we try and do for the association. We try and make sure there's a market for cider. We try and make sure quality is really high coming out of the Northwest and we try and create community. And so community is best in person. We like to share cider, drink it together. Cider makers are really in this industry for passion. There's not a whole lot of rich cider makers out there. Um, so we have uh, annual meetups. We have an annual meeting. We actually run a cider conference it's called the Northwest Cider Symposium. So people get to meet at many different events throughout the year. We're also excited to bring back our cider competition in October. We had to pause for the pandemic, um, but we're going to have in, an intense day of judging cider to find the best cider made in the Pacific Northwest. And that's always a really fun day for cider makers to connect and share cider across the table and sort of taste and smell and get very geeky about what's in front of them. Now, these meetings and these competitions, are these open to the public? Are there ways for those that are pe you know, people that are in the cider? Can they come to and geek out on cider as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what we do is very open to the public. Um, we run cider festivals. We have cider celebrations. Um, a lot of the events are listed on our website, and I'm excited that uh, cider events are starting to come back. So nwcider.com, NW as in Northwest, cider.com. Um, really easy to find events if you're out in our neck of the woods. Um, and we keep that updated, or you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, at nwcider. We try and keep that really easy. Um, we also like to promote other people's events. So like there's a cider summit happening in um, September. It's the first one probably in two years happening. Um, and normally there's four of them across the country that happen. And this is the first one coming back after a long time. I think it's September 10th and 11th for people listening. Um, it's called the Cider Summit. And it's a really beautiful event. You get to meet something like 50 cider makers. They have international cideries out there. So we like to, to share and play well with everyone. So it's July of 2021. What do you find are some of the challenges in, you know, your responsibilities with being on the forefront, forefront of talking cider? What are some of the challenges that you still face? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's it's very variable, but a huge part I find is education piece. Um, you know, cider has really deep roots globally. People have been drinking cider, making cider for many, many centuries. Um that said, in the U.S., we stopped drinking cider until recently, and our association was formed in 2010 because there was started sort of this revival, this resurgence of cider, um, but really, I don't think uh, folks started to see a whole lot of cider on the market until much more recently, and um, for a long time, the word cider in the U.S. meant um, apple juice, basically, right? Fresh apple juice. So there's a lot of confusion around the word. I'm seeing less and less of that now. People know it's alcoholic. They know it's hard. Um, I mean, you don't say hard wine, so we don't say hard cider anymore. We say cider. But I think um, once you understand- I love that point. Thank you so much for bringing- <laughs> No, that, that's true, right? I mean, so, so it's interesting how industry terms- find their way. And then, you know, in terms of what you do, you bring an amazing point about that, that now we should stop talking about it being hard cider and what would be it just cider. So what would be your, you know, important title or clarification for cider, just cider, just cider. Just yeah. cider. We don't say hard beer. We just say beer. Right. Okay. So, um, I mean, if, if I, this is a really relaxed community, so if we hear cider, or hard cider. We don't bristle, but it's just an extra word that you don't really need in your But that educates me. I mean, that's, I'm always open to learn something. So now what I'm going to do, that apple cider that you find, I'm just going to call that soft cider. And, you know, real cider is cider. So I learned something today. Thank you, Emily. Yes. Oh, I'm happy to have <laughs> someone else converted to just say cider. It's just easier that way, I think. Now, I mean, it sounds to me like from a lot of what you're saying, since the association was formed in 2010, you've really seen a maturation of the consumer, of the cider drinker. What are the, you know, what are the conversations now, either with the association and the producers or the community at large that you're now having conversations about that you're more excited about? Um, styles and apple varieties. Absolutely. So, okay. So if you imagine yourself walking into a bar and you're ready to order a beer or you're ready to order wine, you don't just sit down at the bar and say, Hey, give me a wine, right. Or Hey, give me a beer. Usually you clarify. You're like, I would like an IPA or please, I'd like a Pilsner, or you might even know a brand that you really want. Same with wine. You know, there's a, a variety of grape that you want, or there's a region you want. Um, and you explain that, or at least you say red or white, right? But right. with cider, a lot of times at bars right now, there is only one, if you're lucky, right, on tap or in bottle or something. So um, people tend to walk in and say, well, give me the cider. But the problem with that is you don't necessarily like all ciders, right? Or all beers. Like maybe you're not really into hazy hopped IPAs, but you're really into Pilsners. So it's important for 
the consumer myself to know what I want so I can explain it to the bartender so that they give me something I'm going to enjoy and not sit there sort of grumbling like, oh, this is not to my liking. It's too sweet or it's too dry, whatever. And so we really want people to start paying attention and thinking about cider as categories. Um, maybe cider is barrel aged and you really like those notes of whiskey or bourbon in your cider. Maybe it's hopped and usually hopped cider is really floral, citrusy, because the hops are not cooked when you make cider, they're dry hopped. And so there's these beautiful um, resins and um, floral notes. Or maybe you're like, man, I really like it when there's fruit added to my cider. I just really want a blackberry cider or a raspberry cider. So starting to know what you like kind of guides you, whether you're at the bar or you're in the grocery store aisle and you're looking at 10 million bottles and you're like, oh, I don't know what to pick. This is confusing. Starting to understand what style you really like is huge and will make everyone happier. Now we're coming to you from Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. I think of your area where you are in that Northwest portion of the country as more cider centered or more cider focused or more cider educated. I mean, you've got your, you certainly have your beer, but I think more per capita drink cider. Now, you know, I'm an hour or so away from, you know, we, we have Adams County uh, in Pennsylvania, which is, you know, for us, that's Apple County, that's Apple Capital. Um, lots of great apples come from there. But I think of your area where the consumer is better educated or more focused, but it sounds to me like there's still those barriers within, at the bar, within to get over the um, that that ledge or that hump, to your point, yeah, I guess you can go into a brewery and almost at a point they feel like you know what, let's keep a cider on the menu to appease others that may not drink beer. But I would I would think in your area more people are demanding cider or asking for cider. Is is that the case? Oh, absolutely. So some good stats. Nielsen measures all sorts of things. They might measure how much TV you watch, or they also measure how much cider is consumed. And nationally, cider is, depending on state, it's usually one to 3% of the overall beer consumed. So one to 3%, every beer that's drunk is, is a cider. But in Oregon and Washington, it's six to 8%. So it's it's still a small amount. It's a small category. We're just here to have fun. We're not, no, like I said, no one's making millions on cider. Um, not yet. Hopefully we will at some, some point. Um, but uh, it's just, there's at least double the amount of cider being consumed here in the Northwest than anywhere else, which is awesome because it's generally very regional, small brands. And these brands are only selling in uh, usually their own state or maybe a couple. Our biggest company uh, making cider in the Northwest is only selling in eight states. So it's super hyper local and it's really, really fun because of that. In fact, I was in Pennsylvania in May visiting my sister and I love traveling because cider generally is very regional and I get to bring home, you know, bottles that are only made there and I can, I can definitely not get them in Oregon. Um, and same with Northwest ciders, you can generally only get them around the corner, right from where they're made. And so you often meet the maker, you get to hear about the cider, you get to see the beautiful orchard and you get to sip outside. And it's really fun. Um, but You're yeah. painting a great picture. Now I'm so glad we have cider to try because you just romantically <laughs> painted a great picture. I love that. Where you are, six to 8% of cider is consumed so it's higher, obviously, than in most areas. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in cider from your neck of the woods that maybe they all they, they say a lot of things come west, right? We'll we'll start to see things whether it's through that cider symposium, through magazines, through you know Facebook chats, and all kinds of things. But what are some of the trends that you're seeing out of your area right now, or that you're experiencing when you're talking to these cider producers? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people are more. Um, fluent in cider languages, whether it's talking about the style they like 
or apple varieties. So cider is made much more like wine than beer, right? We don't brew cider, we make it like you make wine. It's, it's at its core, it's fermented apple juice, just like wine is fermented grape juice. But there's so much more to it, right? There's this nuance that a cider maker can put in. They can decide the yeast. They can decide the temperature that they're going to ferment. They can decide if they're going to um, ferment in barrels or stainless steel. They know what they're going to add to it or not. Maybe they're picking very specific apples from a very specific terroir, or maybe they're, they're making something very sessionable that is intended to be just drunk before a meal or something or at a bar. So there's these styles that come out of it based on the cider maker's choices. And apple varieties are a huge decision in that. So just like with wine, there are very specific apple varieties that have been bred for many, many years um, that are, are either higher in acid or tannin levels or sugar levels that are, are something very specific to make cider with. Um, so the, when I say acid, tannin, and sugar, um, you can kind of imagine acid pretty well if you think of a Granny Smith apple, right? It's really easy to bake with. Um, it's usually used for pies or making applesauce or something. It, it is better, I think, if you add a little sugar to it, right? Um, because it's got higher acid. There's plenty of apples that are just sweet that we eat, like the Fuji or the Gala. Um, and they are really, they were bred for eating. They're table apples, just like there's table grapes. But then there's apples that have higher tannins in them and a tannin, right? Like a, a winemaker would think of um, like a Merlot or something like that. Um, if you've ever bitten into a crab apple, often there's a lot of tannins there and you bite it and you're like, oh, it's like a green banana. Like it is not designed for eating, but it's actually incredible when you ferment it and it adds some balance and some complexity to your mouthfeel. There's also... Um, apples that are high in acid and high in tannins or high in sugar and low in acid, you know, there's all sorts of combos and a cider maker will pick those varieties very specifically to make certain ciders. And what you end up with sometimes are single varietal ciders. So they've picked one apple that ferments really well on its own and doesn't need to be blended. Um, so it's really fun, whether a cider maker is using eating apples, like table apples, or very specific cider apples that are probably grown on their own orchard, right? Because they're really hard to find. You can get this huge variety in styles and flavors coming out of your ciders. I feel like I just, I, I should get college credit for this interview or this podcast, <laughs> because I, you said a whole bunch about apples, about varietals, so much there to learn. And you love what you do. How did you come to work with Northwest Cider Association? What's your history in joining them? Because you sound like you've always been around cider. Um, I have not always been around cider, but I totally fell in love with it when the boom happened here in Oregon. Probably a decade ago, there was a cider bar that was started and I would walk in and it was a bar just of cider. And I was like, what is this Mecca? I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, are we allowed to give them a shout out? Oh, sure. They're, they're closed, unfortunately, oh, now. No. But Bushwhackers, <laughs> okay. um, they held a, a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. Um, I think they were the first cider bar in the whole country. Um, and unfortunately, they, they didn't make it. But, um, but they, their they legacy inspired. lives on because they inspired, right. as you said, they inspired you and how many countless other cider drinkers and producers down the road. They really did. Um, so I, I started drinking cider there. And then luckily I am uh, part British. My dad's British. And so I was out there visiting relatives and decided to spend a weekend touring cideries out there and totally fell in love with the connection to agriculture, the orchards, seeing these giant pear trees, giant apple trees that have been there for hundreds of years. I think the oldest um, you can have a pear tree that's still producing is like 300 years or something. It's amazing when you see that. And I love tasting the nuances, whether cider makers made the decision to change something or it's just 
the apple varieties that's changed. I get really excited about it. And what I love is that it's not pretentious. Like this, the group of cider makers, they're just, they're like fun. They're usually in it because they've decided to go on their own. Like they were in IT at some big corporation or something. They're like, I don't want to do that. I just want to work for myself and, and make a living fermenting something with my, you know, getting dirty with your hands. Um, and so it's really welcoming. Nobody in the cider industry says, you know, I'm going to go into IT tomorrow. They, no, no, they're they over don't it. go the other way, right? <laughs> um, you know, often I would say the spouse of the cider maker is usually the one making the money and, and supporting the it cider helps, maker. Yeah, because yeah, or they're like in business together. But it, it's a really fun industry. Now, you sent us two bottles and you choose which one should we taste through right now? Which one should we start with? You should definitely start with the Easy Orchards. Okay. Um, Roman Beauty Cider. So Roman Beauty. I sent you two ciders that are in the Northwest Cider Club, which is a new project that we started because of the pandemic. And we're going to keep going after, you know, once now we're open and we're having fun. Um, the idea is I would walk into the grocery store and I wouldn't know what to pick cider wise. If or my friends wouldn't, and they would call me because I know the background. I know a lot of people who I can hear the bubbles. I love the sound of opening a bottle and just pouring. I just love that sound. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) If it wasn't 10 in the morning Pacific time, I would join you. (laughs) It's only one o'clock here in, in the area. It's okay. It's work. Um, so you were talking about Easy Orchards. You were talking about this pick and everything else. Yeah. So we launched the Northwest Cider Club to help people because I'm not on speed dial for everyone, right? I can't help walk you through the aisle. We can pick the ciders for you. If we're shipping cider seasonally, it's a cider club, right? So four times a year, we'll send you beautiful bottles that we picked for you. Um, and they are, oh, you're going to go for the other one too. Like, of I like course, it. we're going to do them both. Yeah. yeah. But They're... not now. We're, we're going to, we'll taste through the first one. Look, you know what? I'm, I have to tell you something. I, uh, this gateway to be able to try some of these small producers that in any other way we wouldn't have access to is phenomenal. So this has come out of COVID. Yes, it came out of COVID. We wanted to give people access and help them pick. We guarantee it will be fairly dry ciders under three bricks. You know, I know a lot of people don't talk in bricks, but it's not crazy, crazy sweet. Um, We'll pick ciders that are all from the Pacific Northwest. They're independent makers. They're making craft cider. Um, And we we will curate these boxes based on a theme. So this one you have right now, the whole box is based on apple varieties. And many of the ciders in this box are um, single varietals or more predominantly one apple. So what you have right now was grown near Salem, Oregon, which is the capital of Oregon. And it's a, a farm that's been around over a century. They've been growing this Roman beauty since 1900 something. Um, and it's a, it's an old fashioned apple. You don't see the Roman beauty at the grocery store anymore because it's not one of those, like you cut in, it's perfectly crisp. It's going to stay white while it's on your counter. You know, it's just old school variety. It probably stored really well and made good applesauce back in the day. Um, and it actually, it ferments into really beautiful cider. These guys grow apples very specifically for cider. And you can, as you walk through the orchard, you see that they've, they've placed the trees based on maturation, based on pollination, and they've picked very specific varietals. So this Roman beauty is really gorgeous. I want to, I, I see you smelling. I, I, I love the nose on this. This is just, there's so much effervescence here. Even as you, your nose gets into the glass, you can feel that rush of these bubbles. And these are small, little, tiny, delicate bubbles. They, they, and they, they just continue to can move up the, through, through the cider. And you mentioned applesauce. And I was looking at the color of, you know, the, the cider itself, when the leaves start to go from that green, just that late, tingy greenish yellow 
that's the color that the cider gives off. And it automatically draws me to, as you mentioned, applesauce, but it, even on, on the eye, it, it looks like, so you mentioned, you know, sugar content. The, the, the eye presents itself, as I see it, as a little bit thicker of a cider. That, that's what I'm appreciating, or at least what I'm seeing, that I get a sense that this is going to be something that's going to remain on the palate for a while. And yeah. that, that's what I see. And I don't know. I mean, in, in, f- from my standpoint, that's what I love about cider. That I almost thought, as I'm just looking at this, this is like a, a cider that you want to, you could treat as a champagne um, and, and not as an everyday drinker, but you can celebrate with this cider. Absolutely. This cider um, was fermented very slowly. It's got a mild acidity and um, they fermented the old school way back in the day when they were making cider in the 1900s. This is the way they would do it. And it's actually pretty low ABV. It's only four and a half percent. Um, and it, it has some sweetness left to it from the apples, but it's also got one of those cider apples I was talking about that has higher tannins that really balances that overall flavor kind of makes me think a little of a French style cider. There's so much earthiness to this. You still get some yeast, even in the nose that plays off of this. And on the flavor, I get cinnamon, uh, cloves in the end, but you do get this wonderful, sweet first sip the bubbles, and then it just dries out to just being a light, refreshing, crisp, clean cider. This is delicious. It See, is really, really good. If great. you're not and part those... of this cider club, you're missing out on some sensational cider. You really are. We, we really do pride ourselves in putting bottles that are really hard to find, that are really beautiful, that are kind of under the radar. And you absolutely, you're not going to find these bottles in Pennsylvania, that's for sure, and most of the country. So um, this one is really special for us. There's a, as this lingers, there's some sort of grassiness to it. And it's, I, I almost feel enveloped inside an orchard with this. I really do. This is delicious. Kudos, it's so fun. Kudos to Easy Orchard's Roman Beauty Cider for making this amazing product. I can only imagine what other ciders that they're making, but learning about this process and the way that they're doing this is, is huge. Is huge for us because I think where we are in the Pennsylvania area, and you know, even New York and the local producers. This may not be a style that we might see or something that a producer might make only because of the age of the orchard or the age of the cider producer. So this is this is almost like going to, um, you know, a more mature city and getting to see some different sights and sounds. And it's coming out of a bottle in a glass. Well put. That's exactly how I would put it. It's really fun. I love your job. You have a great, if you get to do this all the time and talk to these people, that's a wonderful job. That's, it's, it's like, what else is left? Enjoy what you do. This is super. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, whatever we learned in the last year, it's really, you know, life is precious. It's important to enjoy what you have in front of you and go have some fun. So you mentioned, I mean, we talked about the fact that this cider club has come out of the pandemic and, you know, it's been a learning experience. What other, I was like, I mean, we're having some great conversations right now with businesses that would have said, Hey, 15, 16 months ago, this is, this is not what we are doing. Now we're doing it. And it's actually turned out to be a good thing for what we're doing. So within the association or within the people you're talking about, what other things that, you know, business-wise have come out of COVID that have been a benefit to these cider producers? Yeah, I think a lot of people have started clubs, actually, and started online stores. You know, as I said, ciders are really young right now, and um, they didn't necessarily have cider on for sale online before the pandemic. And I think that a huge benefit is not only did the cider makers hustle and put stores on their website. So if you wanted to buy a specific brand, many of them uh, will do that now. But I think also the fun thing is the country is modernizing just a little bit um, in that our shipping laws and r- the, the rules around sending alcohol 
it are a little easier. Not every state and a lot of states, you know, have very specific rules around cider being shipped, but um, it's been a huge benefit that, you know, a lot of governors just signed orders um, in the midst of it all, allowing whether it's curbside delivery or um, self-distribution or shipping into state. So that's been really fun to see. I think for the consumer, this is, I think so much of what we're experiencing now probably would have taken more time to get through a legislature or get through a lot of local or state, state governments where it has now been accelerated to where we get to enjoy these is, is again, if, if we were to have spoken two years ago, it most likely would have had been in, needed to be in person because we wouldn't have been able to share these, sending them across the state, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or unless you get involved with a major distributor, which in a lot of cases, they want volume. They're, they're not going to touch a, a cidery if they're not producing volume. And if they do, sometimes that'll wipe out all the production of a cidery. So there's nothing for anybody to have when, let's say, they come to their you know, orchard tap room or whatever they have. Yeah, I mean, volume's big, but then you also, if you're a small company, you need a salesperson on the ground, right, to to be able to keep your product moving. You need a marketing budget, and most of these companies just can't afford all that, and they can't certainly can't compete with the big guys who are going to have most of the shelf space. So this is this is almost like a CSA for cider or like a farmer's market, and a way that you can access your local cider or the craft cider, the independent makers um, in, in a, a really concerted spot. We put up to 10 different brands in one box uh, every quarter. So you don't- Up to 10 different ones? Yeah, up to wow. 10. Wow. So one month I could have 10 different bottles coming to my house. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, what is so so for the people that are hearing this now and haven't been exposed to the Northwest Center Association and this club, what does it cost to join and be a member? Yeah, so it's free. You don't have to pay to be a member. You just subscribe right. and you can stop it at any time. So if you're like, I just want to subscribe for one box, go for it. Or you can even buy a, a gift box where it's just a one-time thing, or you can say, I'm going to subscribe for three months and you, you set a deadline. We don't, you know, hold on to your information forever, or you can subscribe ongoing, which is what we love because then we can predict and tell the cider makers we have, you know, 500 subscribers and we can order this from you. And the predictability is really huge for these small companies, especially the tiniest ones who are like, wow, you're going to buy 500 bottles from me all at once. Like that's really, really huge. That's exciting to yes. have that kind of um, follow, you know, the, the following that you have or the expectation. And this is only going to grow, I would imagine. So we're, you're not just saying we have 500 bottles we're going to ship out. We could have a thousand bottles. That would be really wonderful. I'd love right, to see that. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Or, NWCiderClub.com. Now, all right. So if I were, again, I'm sure you have another release coming or the one you just released, what would I be looking at a cost for the next one so people can get an idea? And this okay, includes, so there's, and, and yeah. includes the shipping and everything else, right? Well, so there's several different clubs we offer. So there's kind of this entry level, easy drinking, um, smaller bottles. So you don't have to share. Not all of us like to share, right? Um, it's called our Discover Box. And there are six different brands in that box. Um, six different bottles or cans, depending on what we've put together for you. Um, so that's the Discover Then there's the elevated box for people who are like, actually, I want the larger bottles like wine style, 750 mil. We put four higher level um, bottles in there. So slightly higher price point. Um, You can also, that's the elevated box. You can also combine the two. That's how you get. I was going to ask, can I get both? (laughs) Get both. And we ship it all at once. You don't have to pay for shipping twice. Um, Or you make up, you make up the individual boxes for everybody. Is that also what you do? Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's only quarterly. I don't think I handle it more than that. Um, uh, or you can double up on the Discover as well. Some people are like, you know, I really just want two of everything because I'm going to drink one and then I want to be able to share the best ones with my friends. For hoarders like me, yeah. that's perfect. Because well, then I don't every quarter. Well, yeah. you know, now I drink a bottle and I don't have another one. It's gone. Now it's what? totally gone. Now it's what? Sad. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we only, we don't repeat the bottles. So once it's gone, you have to go figure out how to find that bottle yourself. <laughs> so speaking of bottle, now the next one's this private reserve heart. Now they put hard apple cider on the, the label. Yeah. Uh, I'm just pointing that out. Um, yeah. And this is center ring. So Center Ring is in Wenatchee, Washington, which is really right in the middle of Washington. And that is the heart of apple country for the entire country. They grow in the, the, that region, that valley, the Wenatchee Valley, they grow 60% of all the apples consumed in our country. Wow. So this is, this is Apple County, Apple County, world county capital, right? Exactly. So if you go to Wenatchee, which I highly recommend, it's fun to visit that whole region, you will see apples upon apples upon apples growing. If you can imagine the Midwest with the corn everywhere, near Wenatchee, you just see apples everywhere. It's really exciting. It's really fun. Um, And this producer, Nigel Vintners, they also make Pair Up Cider, which you see in these bright green um, bottles that are really unique. Um, they are taking the Porter's Perfection Apple, and um, it's a single varietal. It's grown in East Wenatchee on an orchard. Um, they, these apples were bred in England to make cider specifically. So they're, they're an older apple. They were named for this guy, Charles Porter, who lived between 1844 and 1932, in Somerset, England, in this tiny little English county in Somerset. These apples are really funny. You can, you can tell what they are because they fuse together on the tree. So if you imagine one apple, kind of like a, a, a twin. I was going to say, in. it sounds like a conjoined twin, the way right? you're holding your hands. Right. And sometimes they will be triplets. So if you see a Porter's Perfection apple tree, you're, you'll always see these fused apples. And these apples um, have a lot of acid and tannins to them. So they're really well balanced when you ferment them down. Um, and uh, there's, there's um, a deep amber hue. I can see it in your glass right now. It's this beautiful color. Um, and that's when the tannins are oxidized. So when you crush an apple, let's imagine when you cut up an apple, if it's not one of these new varieties that are really bred to stay white when you cut open them, you know, you leave an apple slice out and it starts to turn brown. The cider apple varieties that were bred specifically to make cider, they didn't care if it stayed white or not. They'll usually oxidize much faster and in a stronger color than other apples. So if you get a cider that's a a darker brown color, sometimes that's the way you can tell that um, that's a cider apple variety that oxidized. And that's why it's kind of that, that rich amber hue. All this information is blowing me away. This is selfishly, I love this education I'm getting today. Now, looking at this, like you said, I eat almost, if I put this in a pint glass, I almost might get, you get an idea that this could be a lager coming out of the glass um, but it is a little bit darker. And, and when you said the oxidation of an apple, the, the, the color is spot on. I just cut a bunch of apples and I let them out for a bit. And then you get that color. Now, from the nose, as you're talking about this cidery and this producer, I get this hot apple pie that just comes off the nose. And it's reminding me of McDonald's hot apple pie. <laughs> I, I just I just pulled it out of that cardboard sleeve and I opened it up and you almost get that 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 gooey apple you know center of it but there's this there's also these undertones of just um biscuit or or a cracker or something else in the nose and this is just amazing. I'm also looking at this bottle and it talks about how after World War World War II, Kevin and Mark's grandfather planted a small pear orchard in Wenatchee, in the Wenatchee Valley. And upon taking over the orchard, they discovered that the native varieties provided uniquely light, light and flavorful finish, clean and honest flavors that be found throughout uh, all their ciders. I, you know, even, even that is a, is a warm invitation to their cider to where you start to feel what they're producing and the history behind this cidery that, you know, the forethought of saying now we're, you know, we're talking, you know, just after World War II. So this orchard has been around since the 40s. Yeah, they have an idea of what they're that, doing. 
they almost only make perry, which is fermented pear juice. So this is one of the only uh, ciders they make. What do you think? I just thought you drink some. Yeah, I, I, you know what? It's, it's huge. I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever had a cider like this. And yeah. you talk about tannins, right? Mm-hmm. That's that dryness that just, I, I, it, it's almost as if for me, I decided what I wanted to do was separate the skins from the apple. Yeah. And I, I bit into the apple, the flesh of the apple, and then I took a whole bunch of these skins and, and I followed up with that. That yeah. it, it, this is the best, it, it, this is, if, if I wanted to eat an apple and I wanted to find the best of both worlds, this cider is the best of both worlds. Cause now I'm not feeling like, oh, I bit the apple. So I'm getting the skins and the flesh together. I'm experiencing these in one sip where I'm getting both at a different time. Yeah. And so I would say with that structured mouthfeel, those tannins, it, this is a really good cider to pair with food so that you have some, some fat or some acid or something else that you're putting in your mouth and going back and forth like that. So just like a, a deep, rich red wine that pairs really well with a steak, for example, we love to pair um, ciders that are, have some more structure to them with cheese, with pork, you know, something with a little bit of fat that will kind of meld the tannins that are in your mouth. Yeah. I mean, I hate, I hate always to sound in a way cliche because the first thing people may gravitate towards is cheese, right? You know, there's like you said, there's pork, there's steak, but I almost want to try this with a blue cheese that Mm -hmm. to me, that's what my, you know, mouth or my taste buds is now craving the, that, that robustness of a blue cheese and what this would do with that blue cheese and, and how it would enhance the cider as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a really rich uh, apple, and when you get those cider apples that are really bred many many generations to make something very specific, um, you definitely want to pay homage to that. And usually that involves community, that involves some food, and you just enjoy it and and have it over a, a great table of. I love the idea of blue cheese, a little Stilton with that cider. It'd be great. One of the enjoyable ways to drink cider and one of the things, especially with these larger bottles, that first wave of flavor that I got, my taste buds are now getting used to everything that I'm I'm drinking in the glass. So the tannins that were so robust in the beginning, my, my mouth has gotten used to that. So what I now get is more the sour characteristics of the apple. That, that are starting to linger there now. This is just a nice, it's like a, a great walk through the orchard and just, hey, there's a, there's something over there and there's something over there and, and it's all in one glass. Yeah, and in the Cider Club box, when we ship it out, not only do we send tasting notes so you can kind of anticipate what you're going to be drinking and know when to open it, you know, whether it's sessionable and maybe an aperitif or you want to have it with a meal or just, you know, take it on a hike. We love to send cans so you can just take it wherever. Um, But we also send um, cheese pairing suggestions with very specific cheeses and Whole Foods actually helps us with that. They have um, certified cheese professionals and um, they've picked very specific, like drink this cider with this exact cheese. And we can, you know, usually they can provide it mostly across the country. You know, we can't, can't guarantee that, but we try and make it really easy for you to have fun and explore and, and make those pairings easy. Uh, in the box for you. I'm, all right. I can't wait to see the next box. And hopefully the people that are listening really need to get on board, especially, you know, if, if getting out to Oregon and the Northwestern area isn't going to be on your bucket list over the next year or so, now you can enjoy the bountiful harvest of cider from the Northwest Cider Association. Emily, where do you see, you know, as far as you know, all that you've been doing with what you do for the association, where do you see the future of that? You know, what, what do you see and, and expand on what you're going to be doing over the next year or so? Um, well, I definitely want to grow the Cider Club because it is a really great 
platform for a lot of cider companies, not just ours, right? Cider as a category to really be able to explain the concept and talk about apple varieties or um, terminology, styles, places. We're, our, the box after this one is going to be all Montana ciders. And Montana has a very small crew of people making cider. Um, and they also have a very rich history in growing apples. Um, and they've got this Bitterroot Valley, which used to produce, I, I think, most of the apples for the West before the Wenatchee Valley got the trains to move the apples from one place to another. Um, so I really see that as helpful for the whole cider category. I also just see the cider industry got hit so hard with a lot of the closures. People are really ramping up now, trying to find staff to hire, right? Try making sure their tasting rooms are open and safe and welcoming. Um, and there's a lot to, you know, it's just like drinking from a fire hose right now. So a lot of my role well, is Well, if you fill a fire hose with cider, I'll do the best <laughs> I can, especially this cider. This is delicious. Uh, so there's a lot going on for you day to day. It sounds like there's so much responsibility and, you know, you're spending countless hours doing what you do to help the cider industry in the Northwest area, Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the goal of connecting cider makers and cider drinkers, it it sounds very simple, but in concept, you know, we're not coming from a large corporation with bazillions of dollars to find you. So um, a lot of times that's word of mouth. Um, a lot of times that's just people discovering cider and then wanting to find out more. So it's, it's you know, it's a noisy world out there. And uh, a lot of my job is to try and make a little bit of noise in a very loud environment. You're not that far where you are, relatively speaking, to Napa. Do you see the community the way it is now becoming this destination? Or are they trying to do that where, you know, like you said, with Montana? And I don't know where the producers are logistically, but do you start to see, you know, the cider producers the same way the wine you know, producers are to create this destination. Do you, do you think that's on the horizon or is that already started for where you are? Yeah, I would say absolutely. We actually have a map of all the cideries um, in our membership, nwcider.com slash map, or you can find it when you get to nwcider.com. Um, and, and it's an interactive map. So you can click on it and see what pops up with the ciders. Exactly. You can search whether you're just buying online. Some people, yeah, you have in front of you, we have a paper version I sent you. Yep. Um, you can see if people are selling online, you can see when people are doing tours or it's on the Google platform. So you can create your own itinerary. And I found now that we're, we've got kind of a, a mass of cideries, there's um, certain areas where there's more group together and those that are working together, you know, end up on the map and you can create a route in a very specific region. So if you're visiting the Northwest and I love my home region so much, I can't imagine people not wanting to come out. There's mountains, there's oceans, there's high desert, there's uh, maritime environments. There's a ton to see, you know, it's really fun to create your route. You can visit a cider, you can go for a hike, you could stop at a restaurant, you know, hit that spa, but we love if people add a little bit of cider and fun. Like I said, so many of these companies are small. You're actually meeting the maker or the owner right there. And almost everyone has a tasting room now. So you can go, you can sip. I love ordering flights. So you can really see the whole variety that cideries make and you can learn, you know, what was the intention behind this? Or why did you add, you know, habanero to this cider or the hopped apricot? What is that? Or tell me about these single varietal ciders. And you can really get into the style that you love and find something that is really meant for your palate. When we talk to people about cider and, you know, share our love uh, and our passion, you know, there's that cross between as you started in the beginning talking about, you know, if you're, if you, if you enjoy beer, there are different varieties of beer, right? If you enjoy wine, there are different varieties of wine. There are different grapes. Cider is exactly the same way. I mean, a lot of what you said is true, but these two bottles, I think represent, you know, characteristics that 
these are something that you're going to want to sip and enjoy and share with friends, enjoy over a meal or enjoy by themselves. And I think as the cider industry matures and as, you know, people are able to bring these products with, with all they're doing, the masses are going to be able to get a better sense of really what cider is. And this is, I think, the best time in, in our history pre-prohibition to really enjoy cider, to really, we're, we're so blessed and lucky to have all that is being done in the cider industry right now. Because as you mentioned, habanero, apricot, hop, sour, all these flavors and all these things that now could be produced, that's exciting for you. It's so exciting. And I'd say cheers to that. And what's fun with cider is there's no rules. You know, if you go um, drink cider in uh, Europe, there's usually rules. Like you have to follow this to make cider. But especially in the Northwest, it's a very innovative crowd. They're very passionate. We want to make really high quality cider, but there's nothing like in wine where you really have to make, you know, if you're making a Pinot Noir, you're making it like this. Um, with cider, you can make a single varietal cider or like you're, you're pointing out, you can add flavors. You can throw in something with tannins or something with spice or, you know, barrel age it. You could barrel age it for three years if you want, or you can crank it out in 10 days. So this group is, is really having fun. You'll find cider is breaking the mold everywhere. You might find it in a can or a green bottle, or you might find it in a, like a wine style bottle. So it's really, it's understandably, it's a little bit of a confusing category, but just know it's fun and it's made by people who are really passionate and who know what they're doing. It's usually very, very high quality coming from the Northwest. Emily, you've been so grateful with your time, but even more so all the knowledge. I mean, I, I feel like I, we could talk for hours and I'm going to get such a, an amazing education about cider and what's coming out of the Northwest Cider Association. Is there anything as, as we, we wrap up the podcast, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that the listener learns about you or the association? Um, I mean, I would just say dive right in. There's so much to learn about cider. Um, and we have a lot of resources on our website. I didn't even talk about, you know, we took makers out to France a few years ago to make French style cider. Um, so explore our website. There's a ton of great resources out there. We have a map, we have pairing card to suggest how, you know, how you could pair your cider with various foods. So have fun with it. The Cider Association is nwcider.com. The, the Cider Club is nwciderclub.com. We try and keep it really easy peasy. But yeah, have some fun, explore and enjoy. And if you've never tried cider, this is, as you said, it's really the revival. It's the moment to try and know that there's a lot of styles and try and figure out the style that is right for you. We do a little thing we call Date Night Chronicles, where we'll bring some things that we've either picked up along the way that we haven't tried, or Dawn and I will um, just find things that we buy and say, you know, let's, let's, I can't wait to get our box of, of all these ciders now and, and subscribe and really, you know, enjoy these and explore all the ciders that you're making and share them with friends. I am so grateful that you shared your time with us. We look forward to keeping in touch and hearing more about the great things with the Northwest Cider Association and can't wait to talk to you again soon. Likewise, thanks for having me. And I would say if you want this box that is all apple variety focused, um, the, the cutoff for pre-sale is August 18th. Um, but you can always subscribe to the Cider Club and you know whether you miss that deadline, you'll move on to Montana. So just get your name in the hat and, and pick a club and just have some fun. Pick a club and have fun. Emily, have a super day. Go have some cider and just enjoy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog, bones. Brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog, bones. A healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-D dot com. <laughs>